1: I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Nadine Turman, and Bono and Eisen. Tonight on Fast, we are following the after-hours action shares of Lululemon. That stock is lower by almost a percent on earnings, with the call underway. We'll bring you all the headlines straight ahead. Plus, new details emerging on President Biden's massive infra- infrastructure plan. The expected price tag, two and a quarter trillion dollars. How you can trade around this big bet to rebuild America. And later spring-loaded to spend. We just got a key piece of data showing U.S. consumers are ready to go on a shopping spree. We'll break down the stocks that could see the biggest boost. But we start off with... That's right, there's some risky business going on in the market right now. Just check out everything in play. The most recent example, the ArcaGhost hedge fund going bust, there's also the Reddit rebellion, a SPACA the Bitcoin boom, an explosion in options trading activity. With stocks sitting near record highs, investors are still saying, bring it on. 51% of individual investors think the market is still heading higher from here. So are we pricing in enough risk? Guy.
0: I know you remember when that movie came out, the great Tom Cruise and his breakthrough role. And by the way... Rebecca Mornay was just fantastic. I just want to point that out. i also say probably the best thing that happened at Princeton University since the acceptance of Aaron Burr. Just wanted to get all that out there. Is the market pricing in enough risk? Absolutely not. I mean, look at the VIX today, closed on the lows, below 20 again. I mean, it's amazing to me the complacency in the market. But with that said, there's still this belief that, listen, the Fed's got our back. Liquidity is ample and although sell-offs are going to happen, they're going to be brief and short-lived and very shallow. And right now, that belief system is right. I'm just not certain how long it can last. At
1: the same time, maybe this is considered, maybe we're climbing a wall of worry. We had rates, the 10-year yield, at 13-month highs earlier in the session, Aideen, and, and the market seemed, seemed all right with it. You know, they didn't go, go bonkers or anything like that, but we didn't see that really sharp sell-off that we've seen in the past.
2: You're right, Mel. And you look at volumes today and they're down. So even if the the market was weak a little bit today, you didn't see it in volumes. So I think that a lot of people are waiting for this rebalance that we're hearing about. They're waiting for the infrastructure bill details. So there's a lot of waiting going on, which has led to light volumes um, and a bit of a wall of worry of all this news. So you can talk about all this news, whether it's the SPACs or hedge funds blowing up. And so we actually like the non-consensus view on that. So I actually rather go long in that time when everybody's a little bit worried and waiting around. It is interesting to think, I mean,
1: also, by the way, it's a holiday shortened week. We're off on Friday, markets are closed. (laughs) Um, But it's also interesting to note that with all this risk taking going on, the risk doesn't seem worth it in big cap technology stocks and high multiple technology stocks, even with interest rates at historic lows, Tim. So there's risk seeking in the market, but only in certain places.
3: Well, Mel, every once in a while you have to say, what the heck, right? So <laughs> um, I, think, I think hedge funds have been doing that. So if you look at hedge fund leverage, not just Archeco's uh, it's, it's a case where uh, JP Morgan put out something hedge fund leverage is at the highest level since 2007 or, L, or not LTCM levels of 1998, 99, but, but at least where we were kind of the beginning of the crisis. Uh, but banks are in a very different place, leveraging the system in a very different place. So it is not that moment. But people are taking risks. Funds are taking risks. Uh, retail investors have been taking risks. We've been talking about that for the last three or four months. Um, So I I do think you have a case where the VIX to me near the bottom of of the cycle lows, you have yields that you know look like they could be breaking out. I think there are risks, but I'm going to I'm going to also fall on the side that I I, kind of like where the market sits here. I think I like the wall of worry. Um, I like the sectors that are going to continue to be the rotation industrial, uh, you know, call them the value sectors, whether they are or not. And I think the risk is to the upside of a big, payroll number on Friday.
1: We mentioned options activity exploding, Bono, and the, the precise number is equity options volume is up 85 percent last year compared uh, to the year before. So this is a, a huge, huge increase that we have seen. So what do you gauge? Is that <laughs> is that the Reddit kind of trader? Is it people going out on the risk curve or is it people hedging positions? I mean, what, what do you make of it all?
4: I think it's a mixture of all of the above, but what we have seen is a lot of upside call buying. So that is more speculative in nature. So I think you hit the nail on the head there in terms of there being more risk in the market. Generally speaking, though, I do think that risk is being priced. The VIX, although it is flirting with that 20 level, is much higher than where it's been in previous regimes, which has been sub-12. So I do think you do do see some pricing of risk in there. And then when I'm trying to get my bearings together and kind of level set, I also look to other macro indicators. and the credit market, again, an indicator of risk. You have new issuance in both the leveraged loan and the high-yield market saying that investors do have this appetite for risk. And I don't really see that abating until some of the liquidity is taken out of the market. With that said and in wrapping up, there is going to be some delineation between large cap growth. Names or sorry growth names in general visa vis large cap growth names, and then you're seeing growth generally versus value. So there is some maneuvering going on, but I, I, I do think it is a risk on posture, although the risk reward clearly has shifted to, to a more risky situation.
1: I want to correct myself. Options volume up 85 percent compared to 2017. Um, so the years, it's a, it's a bigger span, but it's still a huge increase. Um, Guy, we're about six minutes into this program, and I thought with this lead that we're starting off with, somebody would have mentioned Jerome Powell by now. And yet here we are, six minutes in, Guy. I'll I'll give you the first crack because he has a role to play in all this.
0: He, he He is the Tom Cruise of all this. I mean, it's interesting that Tom Cruise's name in the movie was Joel Goodson, and he was anything but a good son. And I'm sure Jerome Powell thinks he's doing everybody a favor. But I think history will come to realize that they're probably doing more harm than good. And it is amazing we haven't mentioned him because, quite frankly, we seem to do it every night. And I know he's a fan of the show. With that said, I mean, you think about, I'd never heard of Arkagos. I can't pronounce it right. I mean, maybe I heard of this individual six, seven years ago when he pleaded guilty. And I think it was $60 million worth of fines. But what I'll tell you is, when something like that of, of that magnitude has a $10 billion price tag seemingly associated with it, you have to wonder. There are a lot bigger uh, places out there. You just wonder what the type of risk out there that we're not talking about. And that risk taken on the back of easy money, which has been around now for the last 13 years. So you clearly said that to wire me and get me all tweaked. And you were clearly successful in your efforts.
1: (laughs) And and let's be clear. It's not just about, you know, an arc seeming to have imploded um, on eight to one leverage extended by six or more prime brokers out there. But there's also the example of, of Gabe Plotkin in Melvin Capital, by all accounts, a very solid investment manager. And yet he clearly went out on the risk curve in, in terms of an outsized position and his game stopped short. And look what happened to him. I mean, in another, another kind of market environment, would these sort of outsized bets going out on the risk spectrum? I mean, they would have happened, well, but maybe, I mean, I don't know, probably not in this quantity. So
3: my, my first question is, that, mm-hmm. Mel, did you ever throw a, a good old you know, party when your parents went out of town in high school? What, uh, I, what do you I, think? I'm sure you did not. I'm sure you did not. So, so these two hedge funds that we've talked about—I mean, these guys are Tom Cruise. These are the guys that drove the Porsche in, into the into the water. So, so yes, you know, and and literally, the metaphor is perfect, isn't it? So, I I think you have a case here where, although hedge funds have been saying "What the heck?" and "The opportunity is yours," and all those lines that Miles pumped out at Joel in the movie, um, the Fed is giving you a. a basically the opportunity to to throw that party and to know when in fact to get everybody out of there much better than joel did Um, i think you've got a case here where the fed is going to let it run hot uh look at the long-term uh market excuse me look at the long-term yield chart on 10 years look 240 there's a ton of resistance i don't think we're going past 220 and in this environment with the economy opening up and possibly overshooting look at today's consumer confidence level a great environment for stocks.
1: Yeah. So so bottom line, Nadine, do you like this environment for stocks? Do you like this market
2: setup? I do. I do because you've seen the volumes low on these down days. And I think people are just waiting. They're waiting for more information. So I'd rather play on that than not. Um, But on on the counter end, you look at a, a bank in Japan like Mitsubishi, UFJ, um, there are still other bodies buried out there, and I think that's really where people are concerned, is what else don't we know about, and I think that's what folks are here talking about. Who is the next, you know, it used to be Tiger Asia, but, but who is the next Tiger Tiger Asia to come out and say, hey, we're you know, highly levered, made the wrong bet, didn't have the right risk management protocols, and now are kind of leaving our friends uh, left with a a bag of of you-know-what, and it just doesn't work out. So I think that (laughs) that is really part of the fear. But if you can find the right positions uh, that people are waiting around for and go in early, I think that's the opportunity.
1: Yeah, there could be a lot of bags of you-know-what out there, that's for sure. Um, With all this risky (laughs) business in the markets... Our next guest has some safety plays. It is time to go off the charts with Chris Barone of Strategus. Chris, what are you watching?
5: Hey,
6: Melissa. Well, you know, let's just think about the bigger picture. We have small caps that are down 11% from the highs. We had tech come down 12 I think the question out there, is there another shoe to drop? We all know you can get corrections for any reason, but I don't think you get major tops for any reason. And I want to show you this first table we brought along. Despite the corrections we've seen in small caps, despite the correction we've seen in tech, 95% of the S&P 500 is still presently above the 200-day. I just want to compare that to some prior tops. In October of 07, only 30% of the S&P was above the 200. In March of 2000, it was only 50%. So as you get to these market tops, you tend to get participation getting very narrow That simply has not been the case despite these pauses we've seen over the last several weeks. So I think we're probably okay structurally. It doesn't mean you can't get a pause. Let's focus on what the leadership here is. And I think what's been very telling, and Tim touched on this uh, as well, as parts of the market has softened, other parts have actually firmed. I think industrials are a great example uh, of that here. Industrials consolidated for the better part of the last couple of months, but they've reaccelerated here, particularly in relative terms. Uh, the improvements in things like aerospace and defense are notable the improvement in things like building products also very notable here so industrials are telling us even in a little bit of a sloppy tape they're still leadership same story with the home builders here i know there's so much discussion about at what level do bond yields hurt the market at what level do bond yields hurt home builders well it's not here this is the xhb home builders building products home retail this is making new relative strength highs, new absolute highs versus the S&P. So I think the way that the home builders have held up here, look at Polte, Lenard, D.R. Horton, says the market's probably okay. Focus on these areas of leadership. And then lastly, I do want to acknowledge kind of in this defensive uh, group of names that you have seen some improvement in the consumer staples. You had about 75% of the staples make a one month high uh, this week. That's a modest improvement. I don't think these names are gonna be durable leadership. But well, I at least want to acknowledge the momentum that you've seen here. And if you look at some of, the, uh, some of these names, tobacco has been one area that has been kind of in our work as one that's getting better. Philip Morris, ticker PM, uh, I think is an example of that. It's been trying to break up through this 90 level for three or four years. We think it probably does. But listen, overall, the market's been a little sloppy under the surface. We think we're OK. Focus on where the leadership is. Industrials, home builders, some staples are a little bit better.
1: But the uptrend's intact, Chris.
6: Yeah, I think, listen, you just don't get major tops when 95 percent of the S&P is above the 200. That's mm-hmm. overbought. You can correct. But that's not where your major tops historically come from. It comes from big narrowing. And that just has not been the case.
1: Chris, good to see you as always. Good to see you. Chris Verona, Strategus Bono, do you like any of Chris's uh, leadership ideas?
4: I, I do. I really think you hit the nail on the head there. And the, and the word that jumped out to me was momentum. And what you're seeing, it's picking the, the industrials, right? Uh, and I, we've all said this before. These are value names that the valuations are a bit stretched, but they are now trading with momentum. And for that reason, I, I mean, I couldn't agree with him any, anymore.
1: Yeah. Philip Mars, that is uh, one stock we haven't talked about in a long time, international smoking. Um, Tim, I'll go to you on this. I feel like at one point you had owned this, trafficked in it.
3: Yeah. I, I trafficked is a I don't know. Be careful. We're getting back to like risky business stuff here. <laughs> but but uh, yes, um, I, I do think uh, the story for Philip Morris, even for Altria, um, this isn't you know entirely a tobacco story. This is a yield story. These are consumer plays. Uh, there are certain parts of the world. Uh, unfortunately, smoking is not uh uh been cut back the way it has been in the western world so um, i like philip morris i like the chart for sure I, I like the investment strategy uh and i think that and altria still work
1: yeah how about you nadine what do you like that uh, chris went over or what do you don't like what do you not definitely
2: the like? industrials <laughs> you know i don't like the staples i get concerned as we've seen before it's a bond-like security, staples are. When rates go up, they tend to go down, similar to utilities. So I think you have to be really careful and know the fundamentals if you're going to pick out staples versus broad brush buying staples. So I'd be careful there. Same with utilities. I do like industrials. I like the materials that go into industrials and their services. So I think he's right on some of the momentum there. But you have to layer on the yield story here, which are going higher, and you have to be careful about some of the plays I think you talked about. All right,
1: coming up, we're talking downward dogs And Puppy Dogs, shares of Lululemon and Chewy both on the move in the after hours on earnings will break down the trades. Plus, get ready to spend, spend, spend. Consumers are gearing up for a shopping spree. We'll tell you the key names you want to be in on when Fast Money returns.
7: Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy.
8: Welcome
1: back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert for you on Lululemon. The company's conference call is underway. Let's get to Courtney Reagan for all the numbers. Court.
9: Hi there, Melissa. So the yoga wear retailer putting up a beat on the top and bottom line with strength internationally and online. International revenues grew 47 percent. And on the earnings call, CEO Calvin McDonald classified international growth as still in the early days. North America revenues grew 21 percent, as did total comparable sales with the direct to consumer portion or online up 94 percent. The store component, though, was down 28 percent. Lululemon's online sales made up slightly more than and half of total. That's up from 29% last year. Gross margin increased, but operating margin fell. Lululemon's first quarter earnings forecast is ahead of analysts' expectations, though the full-year earnings range is well below estimates, even though the full-year revenue forecast is well above Analysts' consensus. The yoga wear retailer made its first acquisition in 2020 of the digital workout Mirror. On the call, McDonald's said Mirror had $170 million in full year revenue and expects that will grow 50 to 65 percent this year. He said Lulu sees more than two users per household, with the average member taking over six different types of workouts each month, and the call is ongoing, as you mentioned, but they keep talking about how they're going to invest even more than initially planned in Mirror in this year and years to come. Back over to you.
1: All right, Court, thanks. Courtney Reagan on Lulu. Uh, Bonwin, how do you trade this one?
4: Listen, I think Lulu's done a great job of kind of finding a lot of disparate parts and coming together and creating what's more than just um, a clothing brand, but an overall lifestyle brand. And I think that bodes well in any situation. But I think the issue is, is that they just have challenging comps going forward. I mean, 2020 just isn't going to be coming back anytime soon, knock on wood, hopefully ever. Um, you know, listen, I think you kind of trade the chop here. It's going to trade slightly a bit sideways. You know, I think uh, you probably can get long here, but with a pretty quick stop.
1: What's amazing is that the number or the percentage of sales direct-to-consumer net, uh, net revenue, that was uh, just about more than half um, compared to about a third in the quarter of the year before, uh, Nadine. So should Lululemon get some credit on that? I mean, presumably those are higher margin sales.
2: Mel, well, I think you're right. At the same time, people are always saying, what's coming next? So you're looking at, is the company accelerating or decelerating? I think that's what Bonwin's getting at there. And if it's going to be not accelerating, then you have to trade the chop. That said, I'm looking to see later in the year how their footwear business is doing. I'm looking to see how their online continues to do versus in-store. It's a strong management team. They've got it right. We happen to be a Peloton family, but you know, I think Mir is a great acquisition. And so you do want want To own this company, it's just at the right price. It may not be now, but check out to see if there's a continued weakness and then you can enter. All right, again, the call is underway. We'll bring you all the headlines as we
1: get. In the meantime, another earnings alert for you on Chewy. The shares are soaring after hours on an earnings beat. The online pet retailer posting strong sales growth and their first quarter positive net income. Um, you know, the closing bell just had the CEO on and he talked about the increase in pet ownership during the pandemic, which is no surprise, but there's Guy, that really means a lot more bones and chew toys to be purchased. Yeah, and they mentioned
0: a partnership with Disney. I mean, I, I, I have I've had, I have two dogs currently. I've had other dogs as well. None of them seem to be all that interested in E.T. and all those things. But maybe I'm just doing it wrong. But in terms of the stock, I mean, I think it's still got legs here. If you look, it traded up to 120 mid-February, down to 75. Your 50% retracement of that is about 97 and coming off the margins and the guidance they gave, there's no reason to think we can't get there. So despite the move in the after hours, I think of 8 9%, I still think there's room higher.
1: Maybe your dogs would like a Baby Yoda. They've got those too, Tim.
3: Yeah, they do. Yeah, the baby I mean, Yoda. look, uh, forget and forget giving it to the pet. Uh, how about I snuggle with Baby Yoda? I mean, that's, <laughs> that seems nice. Look, Chewy, uh, it took back the chart, um, really held the bottom end of that uptrend line after almost a 40% pullback. Um, it, as long as they're growing 30-plus percent, uh, there's no question these guys are in the poll position. It's a great position to be in, uh, in a place where people will spend almost anything on their pets. So I like the margin profile as well.
1: All right, coming up, betting big on America. President Biden just hours away from unveiling his massive infrastructure plan. How you can trade tomorrow's news. And later, Google under fire again, this time for its stance on a seven year old song. What is behind this backlash and what could it mean for advertisers? Fast Money's back in two.
8: Welcome
1: back to Fast Money. We are following new developments out of the White House. President Biden expected to outline his massive infrastructure plan tomorrow. Our Kayla Tashi joins us with more in the story. Kayla.
5: Melissa, it will be the first of the president's two-part Build Back Better economic proposals. And CNBC has confirmed The Washington Post reporting that this first phase will include more than $2 trillion in spending with an additional $400 billion in clean energy tax credits. Among the physical investments backed in this plant, new money for roads, bridges, waterways, and broadband, there's also expected to be investment in housing and care for elders and the disabled, though the exact amount in that category was unclear. As for how the U.S. will foot the bill, well, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said taxes will go up and President Biden wants to reward work, not wealth.
2: He thinks it's responsible. It's the responsible thing to do to propose a way to pay for that over time. So uh, and he also believes that there's more that can be done to uh, make the corporate tax code fair
5: lawmakers are already posturing to include their priorities more than 2 dozen senate democrats are pushing for recurring stimulus checks to be part of this plan and also several lawmakers in the house from New York and New Jersey are saying they won't vote for an infrastructure package unless it reinstates the state and local tax deduction that was removed uh, in president Trump's tax bill a sources briefed by the white house suggests that unlike this stimulus plan which was nearly a carbon copy between the initial proposal and the Final law. This infrastructure bill is going to be heavily negotiated between the White House and Congress as they try to gain additional support. Melissa.
1: All right, Kayla. Thank you, Kayla Tausi. So, um, with a lot of sort of the um, the specifics yet to be determined, Guy, what's the takeaway in terms of trading this, especially when you're trying to factor in this notion of tax hikes? That's how, how this plan will be paid for, um, because that could actually outweigh any of the positive impact on the markets.
0: Yeah. Well, let's just try to dissect that quickly. Mm-hmm. How do you trade it? Well, Karen's pointed this out literally for months, if not longer. I think URI, I think I'm actually pretty confident that it did. Made an all-time high today. And if you look at that stock, I mean, it was a $70 stock in the trough of last March. And I think it closed around three thirty-five or so today. And probably even given valuation, it's probably still reasonable in their earnings in April. So names like that work. We've mentioned Caterpillar a number of times. In terms of taxes, I mean, you would think at some point the market's not going to like it. But when you're talking about $2 trillion, which is the number that I just heard, I mean, you could tax this entire country at 200%. It's not going to make a dent. I think we all realize that. I also think there's some optics involved here. but. The market seems to be completely discounting the fact that taxes are going to go higher. One of those things, you know, we started with risky business. We'll add that to the list as well.
1: (laughs) Taxes, not just for the individuals, but for corporations. Uh, Remember, that was sort of the juice that got uh, the markets going in the first part of Trump's term, Nadine. So how do you sort of um, dissect this? And is there a trade in your view on infrastructure here?
2: We've been long various infrastructure plays around the world. So I think you can continue with that in pockets. So it could be services like a Perini. It could be a large conglomerate like Semex. It could be materials themselves that are used in construction or energy companies um, around the world or, or products that go into green energy buildings, green, energy uh, products. Those are, I would say, a basket. You could still be long, even without the details, but at the same time, you do need to be careful. It's also an employment bill right so it's not just infrastructure but it's employment bill so there's going to be a lot of other people out there benefiting from employment what will they do with their paychecks what will they do in the next few years so we're looking to call it the second or third layer derivative of the impact of this type of bill yeah um, some of the material stocks
1: out there that have been named in the past vulcan materials um, mlm martin marietta and then also there is some thought that there could be a credit an ev credit in this this, on top of the $2 trillion in this package. And we saw Tesla uh, go up today as well as Lordstown, uh, excuse me, not Lordstown, CCIV. Um, and so, Bonwin, I'm wondering if that's where you think um, the, the, the boost could be.
4: Uh, yeah, I think that's a great call. It's hard for me to, to make the argument for Tesla because, to be honest, given how, how opaque that name is, it's hard to see what actually is priced in. So I would probably maneuver it slightly differently. A name like Run, uh, First Solar, those names have actually come off quite a bit from their recent highs, and I think this might be an opportunity, and you've seen it in the trading today, to kind of reenter there and play the, um, play the spending bill through that angle.
1: Yeah, TAN, the ETF, is up about a few percent in today's session. Tim, where would you go on infrastructure, and how do you factor in the taxes?
3: Well, I I do. And solar companies run very differently than the growth at all costs uh, of yesteryear. These Mm -hmm. are some cases actually very profitable companies. Uh, I still like steel companies. Look at Nucor. um, And again, specialty kind of steel, U.S. Steel closed it. 28-month highs today, hot roll coil prices are at 12-year highs. The sensitivity to their balance sheet I've talked about. I still think Masco, which is building materials, uh, has not had the kind of run that's representative of some of the infrastructure. But but where are these checks going on the consumer level? They're going to Home Depot and Lowe's. Uh, and, and I really think that these are stocks uh, that have not only pulled back, consolidated, uh, but what we're going to see in terms of the margin profile, these, both these companies have invested in their digital platforms and in their businesses. And I think it's going to come out in the next couple quarters of verdicts.
1: Speaking of the consumer coming up, break out the credit cards. Time for a shopping spree where retailers could see a flood of spending coming their way. Plus, a semi-smackdown. Options traders are unplugging from one chip stock as it gears up for earnings. We'll bring you the trade when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Call it a consumer comeback. Consumer confidence rising to the highest level in a year. And a deeper dive into the data shows particular appetite for big ticket purchases. Those planning to buy a new car hit the highest level since July for new appliances. It was the highest since last February, pre-pandemic. And expectations for buying a home, the highest on record in the history of the survey, which is 40 years plus old, this all comes as Americans sit on the highest personal savings rate in four decades. They're getting stimulus checks as well. so time to take your positions. Where do you want to be ahead of this shopping spree? Nadine, what do you say?
2: We've got three related plays. One is going to the casino. So we like Macaw for not just the high rollers, but the mass names like Melco, LVS when we love those kind of names same thing with travel we talked about do free last week could be Expedia. I don't know about you but my three kids cannot wait to get out of even a great town like Palo Alto they want to go anywhere so people will spend on services not just products and then you said autos we love VW for all that they're doing in the EV space they're doing fast charging points in Europe they're gonna have I think it's called five times the next four years uh, in terms of the amount of fast charging points in Europe. So lots of different ways to play this. Yeah, well, we thought of what was
1: so interesting about this data is that the intent is to spend and they actually have the money to spend. And we were saying personal savings rate was high. It is estimated that during the pandemic, U.S. households saved one and a half trillion dollars, one and a half trillion dollars potentially to be unleashed onto this economy, Bonowin, what does that make you go to?
4: Well, I, I kind of want to parse that out just a little bit. I, I, I will say that the, that savings rate has partly or for, mainly been concentrated in like the wealthier pockets of the United States. And that correlates well with who has benefited the most from asset price appreciation. So kind of letting that trickle down, I actually think that, you know what, I will be looking at services, travel um, leisure type of activity and services as opposed to durable goods. And mm-hmm. we have seen a pickup in that. But I think that that might abate. And we will see some trickle down effect into those pockets of the market. That's why I'd be looking at playing it.
1: Yeah. We were also talking about housing. Kay Schiller came out today. Home prices are 15 year highs, Tim. Um, and the intent to a- buy an appliance is also high. And that brings to mind, at least in my mind, a fast pitch, I believe, that you did on Whirlpool.
3: Yeah. It, it was it was a power pitch. And it was a you know, it was a kind of a view both on housing and the consumption trends just in terms of light durables. And, and yes, we get, that consumer confidence number uh, told us a lot. Again, the, the the delta, the change month over month was one of the greatest that we've seen in all times. I think it was the second biggest move. So um, the question, has the Fed priced people out of the market? So we've talked about those. How about Visa? I mean, how about Visa and MasterCard? And how about the spending profile there? And I think um, that's a place to, to, be, to be very excited if you're a consumer. And I would just go back to Walmart and Best Buy. I'm long Walmart. I, I think they are a beneficiary both in a new e-commerce environment, but also with stimulus checks coming through. Best Buy uh, you know, how many people just walked in and bought an Apple product or a new computer? I think they're going to continue to do that.
1: Mm-hmm. Interesting to, to say Visa and MasterCard. I mean, that's how consumers will spend and how will they look to find things to spend on a guy. They're probably going to go to their Google machines and use Google. And that's often forgotten in terms of, you know, a, a reopening trade, so to speak, because a lot of the searches are tied to travel. And so in that respect, there is this sort of reopening bounce associated with a Google and its parent company alphabet.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I'm sure people do do that, and we're gonna talk about uh, the Google soon. I still get my consumer reports that I sort of go through and and highlight as we used to do back in the day. And and I'm still one of these people, unlike you, I like going to stores and seeing things. The tactile sensation of actually touching a couch at a restoration hardware, or looking at one of the uh, Dutch ovens in Williams-Sonoma, which, oh, by the way, Both made new all-time highs uh, today. And those stocks, people have knocked them on valuation. Guess what? It's been the wrong thing to do now literally for the last couple of years. I still think there's room in both of those names as well.
1: Tim, you're raising your hand. Yes, what do you have to say, sir?
3: Mel, can you kick Guy out of the couch that's in the Best Buy uh, watching the TVs (laughs) while I'm trying to actually look (laughs) at TVs? (laughs)
1: I think they've probably tried to
3: do that. I'm one of those people. Yeah, I you're one of those people. Yeah,
1: you probably go to Barnes and Noble and sit there and read a book and not buy it. Um, I will go to Barnes and I know you- we got to go to commercial break. No, no, wait. A second. No, so before we go, to- go to I love Bono, the I icebreaker. Go-, okay, go ahead. <laughs> I told
0: Barnes and Noble quickly. I told them they should change their business model. Charge admission at Barnes and Noble. Charge admission. You get it back if you buy something. Otherwise, think about the revenue stream those cats would have. It's genius. Yeah. Back to you.
1: Yeah, lost opportunity there, perhaps. Um, Bono, I was going to go to you in terms of the, of the multiples on a restoration hardware or William sonoma If you are a believer in travel and money will be spent on services, can those multiples on those, I, I don't want to say stay at home, but, but home stocks stay high?
4: Um, They can, uh, for the reason that I I stated previously, which is that the spending is likely to come from different areas of the market. It's been a K-shaped recovery, and you're going to see that kind of follow through. So I do think both can coexist in the same situation. All right.
1: Coming up chip wreck ahead. Options markets betting on a bearish print in one major semi-stock. More on that ahead. But first, Google under pressure. The company facing big backlashes. Calls grow louder to take down a controversial YouTube video. We'll break down the fallout when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Google facing backlash for reportedly refusing to take down a controversial rap song on its YouTube platform. Let's get the details with Deidre Bosa. Dee.
8: Melissa, the song at the center is called Meet the Flockers by YG, and it contains lyrics that encourage the burglary of Chinese households. Now, Bloomberg got a hold of an email sent to YouTube employees that said its policy did actually find the song offensive, but decided to keep The song's up anyways. YouTube's current policy allows videos that violate hate speech policy for educational and artistic purposes. Now, we did reach out to YouTube and a representative wouldn't confirm that email, but did tell us in a statement, quote, YouTube has an open culture and employees are encouraged to share their views even when they disagree with the decision. We'll continue this dialogue as part of our ongoing work to balance openness with protecting the YouTube community at large. Now, on one hand, guys, banning this song because of its offensive lyrics that could lead to calls to take down many other rap songs with racist or misogynist lyrics. But, of course, you guys know this, Asian American hate crimes have been on the rise, increasing nearly 150 percent in 2020, according to an analysis by researchers at California State University. According to the Bloomberg report, employees have since pushed back against this decision on message boards, leading to a town hall on the issue, but still no change. Now, the episode also raises a lot of questions about YouTube scrutiny, which often takes a backseat to Facebook and Twitter in social media discussions and congressional hearings, according to a 2019 Pew Research Center survey. YouTube has the highest reach of any platform, with more than 70% of Americans reporting they use it. 69% less than that say they use Facebook, while just 22% surveyed say that they use Twitter. But Melissa, when you watch Pachai, Zuckerberg, Dorsey on the Hill. It is almost always Facebook and Twitter that get the brunt of the questions and the criticism. Back to you.
1: Deidre, you had mentioned that taking this one particular song down could lead uh, to hundreds of other songs being taken down for racist or misogynist lyrics. Is there a reason? Is there a justification to have songs up there that have racist or misogynist lyrics?
8: Well, one of the explanations that YouTube gave us is that there are some exceptions when there are artistic you know, benefits. I actually did ask them to clarify it. in the case of this song. Mm-hmm. I didn't get a response there. Um, but, you know, that's what they're sticking to. You know, it can be artistic, it can be educational and one other category. Um, no, just educational and artistic. So they would argue that this song by, called Meet the Flockers fits into one of those categories. They didn't say which.
1: All right. Uh, Deidre, thank you. Deidre Bosa on this story. Remember what we saw last summer? We saw Advertisers start to boycott, pulling their ads, saying that they're going to have a one month boycott for a content that they found um, racist uh, on platforms and Facebook specifically. And and some of those boycotts extended into year end. This is the early stages of this guy. But in the context of of the political environment, of the rise in anti-Asian hate crimes out there, this could be something much bigger that they're going to have to contend with.
0: It should given what 's been going on, it should be something much bigger. I mean, you watch eleven o 'clock news at night, at least here on the east coast, and it, seemingly every night for the last couple of weeks, you know they lead with a story about this, which is just reprehensible on any number of different levels. so it absolutely should be a story. We look at things through the prism. Of the stock market and what's going to be in the stock prices for better or for worse. And quite frankly, Google Alphabet didn't really bat an eye today. And, and oh, by the way, Stiefel just put, I think, a mm-hmm. 2350 price target on it, upgraded the stock from buy to hold. So although there should be, absolutely should be ramifications in terms of the stock, I think what we learned with Facebook, that 18% or so sell off was in fact short lived and it proved to be a huge buying opportunity. I think that's what the market is saying right now with Google.
1: Yeah. And we saw Facebook, you know, to be fair, emerge relatively unscathed from those ad boycotts. Uh, It was mostly larger advertisers that boycotted when it was the small, medium sized businesses for Facebook that really make up the bulk of their advertising revenue. Nadine, in terms of trying to parse out the impact, potential impact on a Google and specifically on a YouTube, how do you how do you think about
2: it? I think Guy's right. You're looking at what's the duration. The duration for a trade today, there wasn't much impact. But the duration for a trade in the intermediate term, it comes down to people. People saying... I don't want to see this on YouTube I don't want to see this anywhere on the internet and then having the power in the government to either have the companies police themselves and do it right or do it for them so I have a feeling over the intermediate term we could see some sort of risk if the companies themselves aren't going to police this in a greater detail Um, but advertisers I don't I agree with guy I don't think that that is a near-term risk Um,
1: I I think that They're going to have to explain what artistic reasons are for having racist and misogynist lyrics, um, Bono. And that's one question that I certainly have. Um, And if you're going to look through the guise of ESG investing, this this might also uh, raise some flags.
4: Uh, Certainly will. And I don't want to mince words here. First and foremost, I I want to condemn the the anti-racist activities that have been going on. There's just, there's nothing more to that. I'm gonna put a period after that. As far as how it might affect the stock market, I think the Facebook trade has kind of informed us. Unfortunately, in terms of the size and scope uh, of these companies that are that are under discussion, and I think part of the reason why they feel so encouraged not to take down such lyrics is because they know that there won't be sufficient blowback to affect their stock price. And I think it's just a, a vicious, you know, self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, but again, it's just it's it's really tragic.
1: We'll see, if adver- yeah. We'll see if advertisers take a stand this time around for this issue. We're going to have much more on the rise in anti-Asian violence here in the United States. Be sure to catch CNBC special report, Race and Opportunity in America. We'll take a look at the economic and social challenges facing the Asian-American community. Talk to business leaders about what is being done to stem this rise in anti-Asian violence. That is tomorrow, 8 p.m. Eastern time. So please join us. Coming up, Microns on deck to report earnings tomorrow is a chip wreck ahead. We'll hit the options markets for more on that. Much more Fast Money in two. Welcome back. Here's a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. Jim is chatting exclusively with the CEO of Macy's. You can catch the full interview at the top of the hour on Mad Money. Let's get to the chips now. The semi shortage causing major supply chain issues wreaking havoc on a number of industries. That's a big reason why the SMH semiconductor ETF has vastly outperformed the rest of the tech trade so far this year. But some option traders are betting that a pullback could be in the cards for one major name in the space. Let's get to Mike Coe for more on this. Mike, what'd you see?
0: Yes, yeah, so we were taking a look at Micron Technologies. This is a name right now that's implying a move of about 6% after they report earnings. That's in line with the 6.5% or so that they've averaged over the last eight quarters. Now usually calls significantly outpaced puts on that stellar performance that the sector has seen. Today, however, the most active options were actually the weekly 82.5 strike puts that expire on Thursday. Over 4,300 of those traded for about a dollar twenty, And most of that was the result of an institutional buy that took place of several thousand right around 10.30 this morning. And the buyer of those puts is obviously betting that there's some risk that the earnings could be disappointing and that the stock could trade below that 82.5 strike by at least the dollar 20 that they paid. That means that they believe there's some risk that the stock could fall 6%
3: or more by the end of this week.
1: Tim, what do you think of Micron?
3: Look, I think we've had conversations over the last few years where Micron's been a cheap stock that reflected uh, conditions that I think there was oversupply in DRAM and NAND. Um, I think, frankly, very evenly balanced supply-demand dynamics, and I think it's going higher. I think the stock's not expensive on valuation.
1: All right. um, Thanks for that, Mike Coe. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That is next Friday because we're off for Good Friday this Friday. Next Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, are you hungry for some gains because there's a pizza party happening on the Wall, on wall Street. Is it time to bite into these names? We've got the trades next. Welcome back to Fast Money. Wall Street is throwing a pizza party. Papa John's and Domino's both getting bullish initiations today. BMO excited about Papa John's margin growth, calling for 20 percent upside from here. City's feeling pretty good about Domino's $1 billion share buyback program. Slapped a $435 price target on the stock. Um, Guy, you like any of these calls?
0: Well, you know that I worked at the Domino's uh, for a period of time. I actually was employee of the month back in the day, which was really re- remarkable, given that I just started there. And I think Domino's is right. Twenty five times next year's numbers, not expensive in this space. And Steve Grosso has said it for years. It's not just a restaurant, it's a technology play as well. So I do like the Domino's call.
1: Employee of the month is even more extraordinary, considering you work there for about five minutes. But that's besides the point. Exactly. Nadine, exactly.
2: Papa John's or Domino's? You know, the opportunity for dough is getting a little stale, I think, here. The comps are so high. You know, everyone, when the virus first came out, I know, bad pun, um, that when it first came out, everyone was ordering pizza, ordering in, not knowing what to do. So it's going to be really hard to accelerate from very, very difficult comps. Same thing, they're having a little bit of trouble internationally in terms of keeping their sales rates up. And when I think about the reopening plays, when you get out of your house, uh, where are you going to go? I think you're going to go support your local restaurant. So I think it's bare short-term and intermediate-term, so I'm taking the opposite side here.
1: When the world is your oyster, are you still going to call Domino's (laughs) (laughs) to to bring you a pepperoni pie, In. (laughs) Um...
4: (laughs) I, I, I will not be. But between the two, being that it's a would you rather, I prefer Domino's, given that it's a tech play. Uh, and I think Papa John's real, still has a little um, makeover to do in terms of their perception. Domino's has better margin, better revenue growth from albeit a higher base. So I, I'm going I'm leaning DPZ.
1: All right. It is time for the final trade. Now let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour.
3: So we talked about Masco. They've spun off cyclical and on less profitable businesses and are now just in core building products that I think are higher margin, free cash flow. Masco, stay in this one.
2: Nadine Terman. PayPal. They're really meeting customer demand. And also, now Guy can get his ostrich boots just like the CEO with crypto. <laughs> I'm sure he's going to be right on that one. <laughs> Bono and Eisen.
4: Speaking of momentum and industrial names, um, shout out to Chris Verone. I like 3M, MMM, up and to the right.
1: Mm. Guy Dami.
0: Back in the day, there was a great cowboy place on Madison Avenue called Billy Martins, where I actually bought a pair of Lucchese's, not ostrich, but I did buy boots. I still have them, by the way. Maybe I'll NFT them tonight. Uh, FedEx finally getting off the mat, Melms. FDX. Yeah,
1: good luck with that. Thanks for watching Fast. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Money. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.
8: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses,